I don't know about you, but there's just something about pirate stories. Hey guys, welcome again to another World Audiobook. So glad to have you here, continuing on with the story of Treasure Island. Do you like this book, or do you hate it? <laughs> I'd love to hear from you guys. Whatever your opinion is of Another World Audiobooks, and uh, if there's anything you'd like to see done differently, or uh, any suggestions or comments or critiques that you have, I would love to hear from you. All the contact information is in the show notes below. Just click on, you can email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever is the easiest for you to get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you guys, and just hear what your thoughts are on the podcast. So now without further ado, though, I give you the next two chapters of Treasure Island. 9. Powder and Arms The Hispaniola lay some way out, and we went under the figureheads and round the sterns of many other ships, and their cables sometimes grated underneath our keel, and sometimes swung above us. At last, however, we got alongside, and were met and saluted as we stepped aboard by the mate, Mr. Arrow, a brown old sailor with earrings in his ears and a squint. He and the squire were very thick and friendly, but I soon observed that things were not the same between Mr. Trelawney and the captain. This last was a sharp-looking man, who seemed angry with everything on board, and was soon to tell us why, for we had hardly got down into the cabin when a sailor followed us. "'Captain Smollett, sir, asking to speak with you,' said he. "'I am always at the captain's orders. Show him in,' said the squire. The captain, who was close behind his messenger, entered at once and shut the door behind him. "'Well, Captain Smollett, what have you to say? All well, I hope, all ship-shape and seaworthy?' "'Well, sir,' said the captain, "'better speak plain, I believe, even at the risk of offence. "'I don't like this cruise, I don't like these men, and I don't like my officer. "'That's short and sweet.' "'Perhaps, sir, you don't like the ship?' inquired the squire, very angry as I could see. "'I can't speak to that, sir, not having seen her tried,' said the captain. "'She seems a clever craft. More I can't say.' "'Possibly, sir, you may not like your employer either,' said the squire. But here Dr. Livesey cut in. "'Stay a bit,' said he. "'Stay a bit. "'No use of such questions as that but to produce ill feeling. "'The captain has said too much, or he has said too little, "'and I am bound to say that I require an explanation of his words. "'You don't, you say, like this cruise. "'Now why?' "'I was engaged, sir, on what we call sealed orders, "'to sail the ship for that gentleman where he would bid me.' said the captain. So far so good, but now I find that every man before the mast knows more than I do. I don't call that fair now, do you? No, said Dr. Lucy. I don't. Next, said the captain. I learn we are going after treasure. Hear it from my own hands, mind you. Now, treasure is ticklish work. I don't like treasure voyages on any account, and I don't like them above all, when they are secret and when, begging your pardon, Mr. Trelawney, the secret has been told to the parrot. "'Silver's parrot?' asked the squire. "'It's a way of speaking,' said the captain. "'Blabbed, I mean. It's my belief. Neither of you gentlemen know what you are about, but I'll tell you my way of it, life or death, and a close run.' "'That is all clear, and I dare say true enough,' replied Dr. Lucy. "'We take the risk, but we are not so ignorant as you believe us. Next, you say you don't like the crew. Are they not good seamen?' "'I don't like them, sir,' returned Captain Smollett. "'And I think I should have had the choosing in my own hands if you go to that.' "'Perhaps you should,' replied the doctor. "'My friend should perhaps have taken you along with him, "'but the slight, if there be one, was unintentional. "'And you don't like Mr. Arrow?' 
I don't, sir. I believe he's a good seaman, but he's too free with the crew to be a good officer. A mate should keep himself to himself. Shouldn't drink with the men before the mast. Do you mean he drinks? cried the squire. No, sir, replied the captain. Only that he's too familiar. Well, now, and the short and long of it, captain, asked the doctor. Tell us what you want. Well, gentlemen, are you determined to go on this cruise? Like iron, answered the squire. Very good, said the captain. Then, as you've heard me very patiently, saying things that I could not prove, hear me a few more words. They are putting the powder and the arms in the forehold. Now, you have a good place under the cabin. Why not put them there? First point. Then, you are bringing four of your own people with you, and they tell me some of them are to be berthed forward. Why not give them the berths here beside the cabin? Second point. And more? asked Mr. Trelawney. One more, said the captain. There's been too much blabbing already. Far too much, agreed the doctor. I'll tell you what I've heard myself, continued Captain Smollett. That you have a map of an island, that there's crosses on the map to show where the treasure is, and that the island lies. And then he named the latitude and longitude exactly. I never told that, cried the squire. To a soul. The hands know it, sir, returned the captain. Lucy, that must have been you or Hawkins, cried the squire. It doesn't much matter who it was, replied the doctor, and I could see that neither he nor the captain paid much regard to Mr. Trelawney's protestations. Neither did I, to be sure he was so loose a talker. Yet in this case, I believe he was really right, and that nobody had told the situation of the island. Well, gentlemen, continued the captain, I don't know who has this map, but I may get a point, and it shall be kept secret even from me and Mr. Arrow. Otherwise, I would ask you to let me resign. I see, said the doctor. You wish us to keep this matter dark, and to make a garrison of the stern part of the ship, manned with my friends and people, and provided with all the arms and powder on board. In other words, you fear a mutiny. Sir, said Captain Smollett, with no intention to take offence, I deny your right to put words into my mouth. No captain, sir, would be justified in going to see it all, if he had ground enough to say that. As for Mr. Arrow, I believe him thoroughly honest. Some of the men are the same, all may be for what I know. But I am responsible for the ship's safety, and the life of every jack aboard her. I see things gone, as I think not quite right, and I ask you to take certain precautions, or let me resign my berth, and that's all. Captain Smollett, began the doctor with a smile, did you ever hear the fable of the mountain and the mouse? You'll excuse me, I dare say, but you remind me of that fable. When you came in here, I'll stake my wig, you meant more than this. Doctor, said the captain, you're smart. When I came in here, I meant to get discharged. I had no thought that Mr. Trelawney would hear a word. No more I would, cried the squire. Had Livesey not been here, I should have seen you to the deuce. As it is, I have heard you. I will do as you desire, but I think the worse of you. Well, that's as you please, sir, said the captain. You'll find I do my duty. And with that, he took his leave. Trelawney, said the doctor, contrary to all my notions, I believe you have managed to get two honest men on board with you, that man and John Silver. Silver, if you like, cried the squire. But as for that intolerable humbug, I declare I think his conduct unmanly, unsailorly, and downright un-English. Well, says the doctor, we shall see. <laughs>
When we came on deck, the men had begun already to take out the arms and powder, yo-hoing at their work, while the captain and Mr. Arrow stood by superintending. The new arrangement was quite to my liking. The whole schooner had been overhauled, six berths had been made astern out of what had been the after part of the main hold, and this set of cabins was only joined to the galley and the forecastle by a sparred passage on the port side. It had been originally meant that the captain, Mr. Arrow, Hunter, Joyce, the doctor, and the squire were to occupy these six berths. Now Redruth and I were to get two of them, and Mr. Arrow and the captain were to sleep on deck in the companion, which had been enlarged on each side, till you might have almost called it a roundhouse. Very low it was still, of course, but there was room to swing two hammocks, and even the mate seemed pleased with the arrangement. Even he, perhaps, had been doubtful as to the crew, but that is only a guess, as you shall hear. We had not long the benefit of his opinion. We were all hard at work, changing the powder and the berths, when the last man or two, and Long John along with him, came off in a shore boat. The cook came up the side like a monkey for cleverness, and as soon as he saw what was doing, "'So ho, mates,' says he. "'What's this?' "'We're a-changing the powder, Jack,' answers one. "'Why, by the powers,' cried Long John. "'If we do, we'll miss the morning tide.' "'My orders,' said the captain shortly. "'You may go below, my man. Hans will want supper.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' answered the cook, and touching his forelock, he disappeared at once in the direction of his galley. "'That's a good man, captain.' said the doctor. "'Very likely, sir,' replied Captain Smollett. "'Easy with that man! Easy!' He ran on to the fellows who were shifting the powder, and then, suddenly observing me examining the swivel we carried amidships, a long brass nine. "'Here you, ship's boy!' he cried. "'Out of that! Off with you to the cook and get some work!' And then, as I was hurrying off, I heard him say, quite loudly to the doctor, "'I'll have no favourites on my ship!' I assure you, I was quite of the squire's way of thinking, and hated the captain deeply. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ten, The Voyage All that night we were in a great bustle getting things stowed in their place and boatfuls of the squire's friends, Mr. Blandley and the like, coming off to wish him a good voyage and a safe return. We never had a night at the Admiral Benbow where I had half the work, and I was dog-tired when, a little before dawn, the boatswain sounded his pipe and the crew began to man the capstan bars. I might have been twice as weary, yet I would not have left the deck. All was so new and interesting to me. The brief commands, the shrill notes of whistle, the men bustling to their places in the glimmer of the ship's lanterns. "'Now, barbecue, tip us a stave!' cried one voice. "'The old one!' cried another. "'Aye, aye, mates!' 
said Long John, who was standing by, with his crutch under his arm, and at once broke out in the air and words I knew so well. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, and then the whole crew bore the chorus. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. And at the third ho, drove the bars before them with a will. Even at that exciting moment, it carried me back to the old Admiral Benbow in a second, and I seemed to hear the voice of the captain piping in the chorus. But soon the anchor was short up, soon it was hanging dripping at the bow, soon the sails began to draw, and the land and shipping to flit by on either side, and before I could lie down to snatch an hour of slumber, the Hispaniola had begun her voyage to the Isle of Treasure. I am not going to relate that voyage in detail. It was fairly prosperous. The ship proved to be a good ship, the crew were capable seamen, and the captain thoroughly understood his business. But before we came the length to Treasure Island, two or three things had happened which required to be known. Mr. Arrow, first of all, turned out even worse than the captain had feared. He had no command among the men, and people did what they pleased with him. But that was by no means the worst of it, for after a day or two at sea, he began to appear on deck with hazy eyes, red cheeks, stuttering tongue, and other masks of drunkenness. Time after time he was ordered below in disgrace. Sometimes he fell and cut himself. Sometimes he lay all day long, in his little bunk at one side of the companion. Sometimes for a day or two he would be almost sober, and attend to his work at least passably. In the meantime, we could never make out where he got the drink. That was the ship's mystery. Watch him as we pleased, we could do nothing to solve it, and when we asked him to his face, he would only laugh if he were drunk, and if he were sober, deny solemnly that he ever tasted anything but mortar. He was not only useless as an officer, and a bad influence amongst the men, but it was plain at this rate he must soon kill himself outright, so nobody was much surprised, nor very sorry, when one dark night, with a head sea, he disappeared entirely, and was seen no more. "'Overboard,' said the captain. "'Well, gentlemen, that saves the trouble of putting him in irons.' But there we were, without a mate, and it was necessary, of course, to advance one of the men. The botswain, Job Anderson, was the likeliest man aboard, and though he kept his old title, he served in a way as mate. Mr. Trelawney had followed the sea, and his knowledge made him very useful, for he often took a watch himself in easy weather, and the coxswain, Israel Hans, was a careful, wily, old, experienced seaman who could be trusted at a pinch with almost anything. He was a great confidant of Long John Silver, and so the mention of his name leads me on to speak of our ship's cook, Barbecue, as the men called him. Aboard ship he carried his crutch by a lanyard round his neck, to have both hands as free as possible. It was something to see him wedge the foot of the crutch against the bulkhead, and propped up against it, yielding to every movement of the ship, get on with his cooking like someone safe ashore. Still more strange was it to see him in the heaviest weather cross the deck. He had a line or two rigged up to help him across the widest spaces. Long John's earrings, they were called, and he would hand himself from one place to another, now using the crutch, now trailing it alongside by the lanyard, as quickly as another man could walk. Yet some of the men who had sailed with him before expressed their pity to see him so reduced. "'He's no common man, Barbecue,' said the coxswain to me. He had good schooling in his young days, and can speak like a book when so minded, and brave. A line's nothing alongside of Long John. I've seen him grapple four, and knock their heads together, him unarmed. All the crew respected and even obeyed him. He had a way of talking to each, and doing everybody some particular service. To me he was unweariedly kind, and always glad to see me in the galley, which he kept as clean as a new pin, the dishes hanging up burnished and his parrot in a cage in one corner. Come away, Hawkins he would say. "'Come and have a yarn with John. Nobody more welcome than yourself, my son. Sit down and hear the news. Here's Captain Flint. I calls my parrot Captain Flint, after the famous buccaneer. 
Here's Captain Flint predicting success to our voyage. Wasn't you, Captain? And the parrot would say with great rapidity, Pieces of eight! Pieces of eight! Pieces of eight! Till you wondered that it was not out of breath, or till John threw his handkerchief over the cage. Now, that bird, he would say, is maybe two hundred years old, Hawkins. They did it forever, mostly. And if anybody's seen more wickedness, it must be the devil himself. She sailed with England, the great Captain England, the pirate. She'd been at Madagascar, and at Malabar, and Suriname, and Providence, and Portobello. She was at the fishing up of the wrecked plate ships. It's there she learned pieces of eight, and little wonder. Three hundred and fifty thousand of them, Hawkins. She was at the boarding of the Viceroy of the Indies out of Goa, she was. And to look at her, you would think she was a baby. But you smelled powder, didn't you, Captain? Stand by to go about, the parrot would scream. Ah, she's a handsome craft, she is, the cook would say, and give her sugar from his pocket, and then the bird would peck at the bars and swear straight on, passing belief for wickedness. There, John would add. You can't touch Pitt and not be mucked, lad. Here's this poor old innocent bird o' mine swearing blue fire, and none the wiser you might lay to that. She would swear the same in a manner of speaking before chaplain. And John would touch his forelock with a solemn way he had that made me think he was the best of men. In the meantime, the squire and Captain Smollett were still on pretty distant terms with one another. The squire made no bones about the matter. He despised the captain. The captain, on his part, never spoke but when he was spoken to, and then sharp and short and dry, and not a word wasted. He owned, when driven into a corner, that he seemed to have been wrong about the crew, that some of them were as brisk as he wanted to see, and all had behaved fairly well. As for the ship, he had taken a downright fancy to her. "'Shall I point nearer the wind than a man has a right to expect of his own married wife, sir?' "'But,' he would add, "'all I say is we're not home again, and I don't like the cruise.' The squire, at this, would turn away and march up and down the deck, chin in air. "'A trifle more of that man,' he would say, "'and I shall explode!' We had some heavy weather, which only proved the qualities of the Hispaniola. Every man on board seemed well content, and they must have been hard to please if they had been otherwise. For it is my belief there was never a ship's company so spoiled since Noah put to sea. Double grog was going on the least excuse. There was duff on odd days, as, for instance, if the squire heard it was any man's birthday, and always a barrel of apples standing broached in the waist for anyone to help himself that had a fancy. "'Never knew good come of it yet,' the captain said to Dr. Livesey. Spoil forecastle hands, make devils, that's my belief. But good did come of Applebarrow, as you shall hear, for had it not been there, we should have had no note of warning, and might have all perished by the hand of treachery. This is how it came about. We had run up the trays to get the wind at the island we were after. I am not allowed to be more plain, and now we were running down for it with a bright lookout day and night. It was about the last day of our outward voyage by the largest computation— Sometime that night, or latest before noon of the morrow, we should sight the treasure island. We were heading south-southwest, and had a steady breeze abeam and a quiet sea. The Hispaniola rode steadily, dipping her bowsprit now and then with a whiff of spray. All was drawing alow and aloft, everyone in the bravest spirits because we were now so near an end of the first part of our adventure. Now, just after sundown, when all my work was over, and I was on my way to my berth, it occurred to me that I should like an apple. I ran on deck. The watch was all forward, looking out for the island. The man at the helm was watching the luff of the sail, and whistling away gently to himself, and that was the only sound, except the swish of the sea against the bow and around the sides of the ship. 
and I got boldly into the apple barrel, and found there was scarce an apple left, but sitting down there in the dark, what with the sound of the waters and the rocking movement of the ship, I had either fallen asleep or was on the point of doing so, when a heavy man sat down with rather a clash close by. The barrel shook as he leaned his shoulder against it, and I was just about to jump up when the man began to speak. It was Silver's voice, and before I heard a dozen words, I would not have shown myself for all the world, but lay there, trembling and listening, in the extreme of fear and curiosity. For from those dozen words, I understood that the lives of all the honest men aboard depended upon me alone. Alright, leaving you guys on a bit of a cliffhanger today, but that's just gonna bring you guys back next time, right? Really hope you guys are enjoying this story so far, and I uh, just want to mention once more, um, I love doing those indie author segments, I want to do some more, so if you or somebody that you know is an author or has some uh, work of fiction that you'd like to hear read on this podcast, I'd love to talk with you, see if that's fit. Again, all the contact information is in the show notes below, would love to hear from you. Also, if you enjoy Another World Audiobooks and wanted to continue, uh, maybe just consider going to anchor.fm slash Another World Audiobooks. Again, the link is in the show notes, and you can click the support the podcast button. That's just a, it's kind of a Patreon-like way to just uh, become a contributor to the podcast and help me continue to create awesome audiobooks for you guys. So if you would consider doing that, I would be eternally grateful. And uh, yeah, I'd love to be able to start putting out even more content than I'm doing right now, uh, but I can't do that without your help. So thanks for uh, liking the podcast and sharing it with your friends. Hope to talk to you guys again next week. Don't worry, you aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time-consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com